0: Welcome to Failed Architecture Breeze Blocks, where our editors share their thoughts on works in progress, urgent matters, and current happenings in architecture and spatial politics. My name is Michael Nicholas. In this episode, I'm joined by Marianella de Prile and my fellow New York City-based Failed Architecture editor, Kevin Rogan, to discuss the discourse that ensued online in response to an article titled On Political Temperament, written by Yale architecture professor Keller Easterling as a part of the virtual book tour for her newest work, Medium Design, which ultimately became a proxy for a discussion about the way architecture theory and the discipline at large has engaged with politics. Last week, after things subsided a bit, Marianella wrote an article in response called Not Everything is Architecture, which I think did a really great job in clarifying where politics actually function within the practice of architecture. So Marianella, your article was formally a response to the Easterling article, but I think it was really about something a little more wide reaching. Uh, do you have any insight as to why the conversation about the relationship between architecture and politics resonated as much as it did?
1: You know, there is a way in which architects are sort of taught to engage with the world, which is primarily first and, you know, first and primarily through their work and through their discipline. And I think that there is a growing sense among You know people in design and architecture that that is just insufficient but not exactly a sense about exactly why it's insufficient and like what what the alternatives are and so what i was trying to do in my piece was i mean i basically i saw the like hubbub around easterling's piece as an opportunity as like an opening to talk about okay here's there's a hunger for architects to engage with the moment here's like a way to think about it that is not, um, just about how do we like architect our way out of a situation or into a situation. Um, and I think it was, you know, I think it was, I think it was resonant one because people had been paying a lot of attention to the, to the article to Easterlings piece to begin with you know it was like that one clip from it was like making the rounds on Twitter people were defending her people were attacking her etc etc so it was like hubbub already and so people were already paying attention I knew that whatever I wrote people were going to pay attention to because that's what they had been doing for however many hours 72 hours and I think and I think you know it was also it was also resonant because I think it I didn't I didn't try to do like a point by point you know rebuttal of her argument I tried to identify what I thought her argument was a symptom of and provide some alternatives
0: well not to do a point-by-point rebuttal um, I do want to read a short clip from that article um, and maybe we can talk a little bit about like uh, this type of writing maybe what this means a little bit so this is from Easterling Taking a political stance usually means taking a position on a left-right spectrum that gauges allegiance to a political philosophy or political party. But what if political stances were also placed on a spectrum that gauged their temperament, the degree of violence they induced? A political stance, whether it's content or philosophy, can result in authoritarian concentrations of power. Any political stance can exacerbate tense and competitive binaries. The content of these left-right philosophies perhaps tells us very little. And maybe the entire left-right apparatus is a vestige of the modern enlightenment mind. A set of philosophies and habits cobbled together to replace the certainty of a God, but maintaining a quest for ide- <laughs> ideational monotheism and a Manichaean <laughs> binary struggle between oppositions. Sorry. It's like, it's tough to even get through this because it is kind of silly too. I
1: mean, to say that like the content doesn't tell us much. I'm sorry. What?
0: but I think there's something to be said here it's like what's purpose does this kind of writing serve
1: yeah I mean like I said I I do think that like there is like a pressure to engage with a political moment and and like a dearth of of intradisciplinary options to do that and I think this is an attempt to say like well you know to stake a position in the moment that is both um, sort of edgy seeming, but also ultimately, you know, like status quo. I think to say to say that like the content of like left right is, tells us nothing. I think is just completely ahistorical. I also just I also think that just to talk about violence as though any instance of violence is equal to any other instance of violence is I, once more, a historical. I was trying to remember earlier if she makes explicit reference to Black Lives Matter or not. But I think, you know, even if she doesn't, I think the like, that's sort of the sub the subtext, and and to equate, uh an uprising in response to the m- murder of a man by the police, which. Which I I say in in the p- the piece that I wrote, which that's state-sanctioned violence. To equate an uprising against that, that is also in many ways an uprising against centuries of violence committed against black people specifically in this country, in the service of of upholding capitalism, to equate those two things, I think it's just completely a, a- historical. Um, I mean, there's one side that has power to carry out violence, and that is like that is, in fact, their mandate. That is their job, is to carry out violence. And then there's one side who's trying to save their goddamn lives. So again, so I think it's ahistorical, and I think it's also um, the obfuscation and the, like, I mean, this is not even the most, in, in fact, the clearest paragraph in the whole piece. Because it doesn't, I think that's before, like, the part about drugs and, like, sugar and whatever the other lumpy. Oh, lumpy, yeah. <laughs> And I, think, and I think the obfuscation is, like, a purposeful, like, uh, it's a way to, to smuggle in a, a, a politics, a philosophy that, like, tries to engage with politics, tries to say, like, you know, we can kind of look or act transgressive, but at the end of the day is about upholding the status quo through this parallel insistence that we should we are actually just thinking about things in the wrong way.
0: Kevin, you were the only one out of the three of us who's read Medium Design. Was this just a bad representation of her political philosophy? Is this something that's kind of explored further in the book?
2: Um, I, I cannot overstate how much this uh, this piece in Double Negative on political temperament actually pulls back from from the heights that the book goes to. So for... For example, and I don't know, see, I, th- I think Easterling may be doing herself a massive favor by keeping it short, um, because in the book, again, there's no explicit reference really to, well, it's very weird, because there's no explicit reference to the political, and I think part of how she pulls that off is by constantly referring to the political, but it's in this very strange way, which is, like, as you said, always in terms of like super bugs, uh, her favorite favorite phrase is binaries and loops so basically the political for her is strictly the ideological and and not even really it's very strange because that sort of standpoint gets rid of the actions of states and of institutional power in general to the point where she can say that I mean and and so by doing that that violence that you, you mentioned, and like, you know, bring to the fore does not exist because there's no actor to actually persecute it. Like you can't have a a class war if there is nothing on one side. Um, And the funny thing is she removes the side that's in, in power. Um, (laughs) And so, and that what that also does is it backs her into extremely funny and like, just Really fucking depressing. Like sort of vignettes where she pretends, or she backdates medium design and claims that Rosa Parks is a medium designer, um, and so I it, it's it's unbelievably offensive, um, and I, I really I really can't overstate it overstate to the degree which it is. So I'm just gonna read a really brief, quick thing. Um, just a, a little tiny blurb. Um, so while it took just as much courage, Parks activated an undeclared urban disposition, and she shifted this potential in the spatio-political matrix to break a loop without intensifying a dangerous binary. So in in Easterling speak, what that means is basically the binary in in question is centuries of racist state violence versus, um, a few hundred, few thousand, uh, local, um, civil rights protesters. <laughs> and Parks's major contribution is to not actually respond to that pre-existing violence because in the Easterling verse, that violence does not exist. And that's just one example. Um, just really quickly, the, some of the other good examples of medium designers are UN Habitat, um, people that make autonomous vehicles, um, stuff like that. So you you really gotta see it to believe
1: it. So what I would like to know uh-huh. is why is it worthwhile to develop this theory?
2: Great question. Because it, and and. The sort of blind spot to power also has the very, very convenient thing of she can say stuff like, oh, the designer has to be the parent in the room. Oh, the designer is the person playing pool. It's the person who's trying to train their dog, blah, blah, blah. But like what is never addressed is the fact that a designers don't actually occupy that place Mm -hmm. if we expand these metaphors to a social level and b if they did they'd have to be at the head of either states or massive global organizations like UN habitat but the the it never it just never comes up and so like it it's just a, it's a fable it's like a it's like returns actually funnily enough to i she like talks shit on the mm-hmm. enlightenment all the time but she turn, returns exactly to like the very sort of first ideals of the enlightenment and like Comte and the French sociologists who say that we need like a society run by engineers, just for her, it's a a society run by medium designers. (laughs) But she just she's too she's too wishy washy to just say it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just Kevin, as you were talking just now, what I started thinking about was like, I and I say this in the piece too that I don't think Easterling is fundamentally interested in understanding how the world works, as much as she is interested in a projection of some theory onto the world, for what purpose, like I asked before, it is actually unclear to me what the purpose is. I would love to know from her what she thinks this work that she is doing is doing. Without Without that knowledge, what I think happens is that Architecture, the, the 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 design of architecture is a projection. Is actually literally a projection, and physically a projection, and metaphorically a projection. And then if you go to architecture school, um, I was trained as an architect. Um, you that's how you learn to to do things. You learn um you learn to to, to project from a, a vision that you might have. And also you learn that like in order to get there, you can kind of take, you can borrow things, you can splice things together, you can collage, you can make references to all kinds of anything goes, you know, um in in that um in design school um and often in actual design practice. Um and then so that mode of working I think gets grafted onto um Uh, an engagement with theory or with politics or with history. Um, But it just doesn't work because the facts of history are not, I mean, maybe Easterling would disagree with this, but I think the facts of history are not rearrangeable. (laughs) Um.
2: (laughs) Oh, funnily enough, if I may, just really quick, she refers to historians as a discipline playing chess with their pet concepts so she would actually say, um, I think precisely that history is essentially meaningless.
0: So I guess like one motif that reoccurs among this type of work, and especially in Easterling, based on what Kevin you've said about medium design in this article, is a general skepticism towards or even an outright dismissal of movement politics. And like the practice of architecture is like typically conceived as a solitary task, as you said like it rewards the novelty of projects often over their social value so is architecture theory or architecture practice incompatible with movement politics or kind of collective action or is there a possibility of like actually engaging in politics in a meaningful way
1: there is a role that theorists of anything i think have to play in the world um and to my mind that the the role is to is to clarify the stakes of any given situation and I think what when we when we are talking about architecture I think what is what gets sort of tricky for a lot of people who are like really mired in the discipline is that this the stakes that you are sort of taught to understand as like an architect are almost exclusively surrounding your own ability to practice in the world and to, like I was saying earlier, like project into the world. And I think that runs directly counter to the larger, I think, stakes that exist, like historical stakes that exist any time people like rise up against a particular system and i think right now we're seeing a lot of chafing against capitalism and i think this the stakes there require which are you know collective liberation require an acceptance on the part of people who have to sell their labor to survive that that is indeed what the defining characteristic of their lives and that is indeed where their power lies. And that, again, runs directly counter to like what you know people are taught to sort of think and believe as architects, which is like the defining characteristic of my life is that I'm an architect. And the thing that gives me power is that I can make things in the world. And that is how I affect change. And those two things are completely incompatible with each other. And I think that we need to eradicate... <laughs> We need to eradicate the sense that like the way that architects make change in the world is like by making buildings or, you know, in the case of Easterling and others, by thinking about how buildings or architecture or design like work in the world and then talking about it. And I think, you know, the project that I'm invested in is a project in which um, architects and other workers, all workers, recognize that their power lies in, in withholding their labor and organizing in order to be able to carry that out, that withholding of labor um, as a source of power. There is plenty to be, um, I think there's plenty to be won in terms of, like, I guess, you know, winning architects to this particular way of thinking about themselves. And I think, you know, an organization like the Architecture Lobby has been doing that now for years and, you know, fairly successfully.
2: As, as far as your sort of wider critique about... You know, the the way an architect approaches the world, I, I think you're also 100% correct. And, and I think this is actually Easterling's big problem, too, where she can describe things as happening automatically or describe things as evening mm-hmm. out and, you know, sort of an ecology or whatever. And ecology for architects, the creation of an architectural object, no matter how small, no matter whether it's a stupid fucking park bench, requires production, requires labor that does not enter into the architect's consideration unless it fucks up and fails. Mm-hmm. So if lead times are too long, then the architect cares about labor. But if they aren't, then they don't give a shit. And they can't be made to either. It, and within that, there's already a hierarchy where the, the architect implicitly views themselves above anyone who actually builds anything that springs from their, their demiurgic brain.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is that, well, a couple of things. I think often architects confuse, historically, historically, but then also, like, in sort of in retrospect, architects confuse, like, proximity to power with power. And also, I mean, architecture is, like, takes a huge amount of capital to pull off. So already we're talking about... um uh a a discipline and a and and an act or an intervention in the world whatever that um you know unless you are somehow independently wealthy and but even then like is in is inherently and necessarily bound up with um like like bound up with and like servile to like existing power structures in the world. Um and and just making a building Right, I feel like a few years ago there was this whole thing about like pro- program and um you know and I I just I don't think that that is of course like making a community center that's fantastic. Yes, we should have beautiful community centers. Love it. Is that how we're going to change like the rampant injustice and inequity in our world? Absolutely not. The only way we're gonna change that is through class struggle, which I say in the piece. But my favorite thing that I wrote in the piece is that Easterling can get away with not making sense because who cares? And <laughs> who cares? Like, that's how I feel about like when when is, so it's like, is there a role for architects and designers? Absolutely as workers. Yes, a hundred percent. Um, Is there a role for them in, like, rethinking our current political paradigm, like, you know, through architecture theory? No. You know what I want? Architecture... Theorists or designers to do is to like make me excited and make me like dream about the world that we could have if we were like unalienated, if like capitalism didn't exist, and if the buildings that went up in the world were actually like for human need and for beauty and not for the profit of developers.